Well, we've had the perfect setup for today's message as we talk about living in a hostile culture. We couldn't have had a, a more clear picture than what our missionaries have been through in that culture there and even being kicked out. And that's what's happening. If you open your Bible, we're in First Peter today in the book of First Peter, and it's getting worse and worse. You see, at first, Christianity was looked at just as another sect of the Jewish faith, and that protected it. But, but when it became clear that it was something new, <clears throat> the protection was gone. And so the emperor of Rome, while Peter's writing this, is Nero. And see this, this picture. We all know the picture of Nero playing while Rome burned down. Now, here's what happened. Nero just decided he wanted to, to rebuild Rome. He wasn't happy with it. So he purposely burnt the city down. But of course, when he did it, everybody got so mad, and he needed a scapegoat, and so he decided to blame the Christians. And so that's when this persecution gets so bad that Peter eventually will be crucified. I mean, j- just for us to relate, let me be politically correct here. L- l- let's say either Donald Trump or Joe Biden decided they wanted to rebuild Washington, D.C., and they burn it down. And we all got so mad that we protested. And they decide, okay, well, I can't take this, so I'm going to blame this on Muslims. Can you imagine how they would be treated? That's what's going on here. Christians are being treated as outsiders. I love how I saw one writer put it for us today is that we are no longer the home team in America. And so we've got to learn to live in the middle of this hostility. Now, let's sort of review where we've been so far. In a hostile world, Christians must, first of all, have hopefulness. That's what we looked at in the first week. We've got to have this hope that no matter how bad things get, they're going to get better. And so remember that picture, that orphan in Western Europe after World War II who's given a slice of bread not to eat but to hold on to, to say tomorrow there will be food. That's us. Peter says we know tomorrow is going to be great And not only do we need hopefulness, but we must have holiness. In the midst of this, we are a holy people. You see, when you have a hostile culture, the greatest temptation for all of us is to compromise, to compromise our morals. And so here's what Peter says is you need to be that set apart people. You're like the fine china that's only used for certain purposes. You're used for God and your life looks distinctively different than the people around you. And then today, Peter says, not only do you need hopefulness and holiness, but you, we must all have togetherness. As the point today is that we need each other. We're not going to thrive alone because we live in a different day in America today. And I'm telling you, all the divisions among Christians are so very dangerous. Maybe a few decades ago, we had time to argue about small little points. Today, I would say to you, we better come together and work together so that we can stand up in this culture. So here's what um, Peter's going to do. He's going to give us four pictures of what this togetherness looks like. So go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look with me beginning in verse 13. Well, I, I love the way, excuse me, not verse 13, verse 22. He said, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual meat, milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you've trusted the Lord is good. First picture is we are children in the same family. I love what Peter describes here. When we came to Christ, our life began all over again. He said, we were born again by the blood of Jesus. And, and, and he says this, when we're born again, guys, we are just infants. You know, one of the biggest mistakes I see happen in church is someone become a young Christian and we expect them to immediately believe like us, look like us, act like us, speak like us. God doesn't say that. God says, when you first come to me, you're not a full-grown adult Christian. You're a baby Christian. You're an infant. And God can give you patience as you grow. Now, what you must do is you must long for that sincere milk of the Word so that you can be changed. You see, the idea here is God has given this family to us so that we might grow up. You know, God, why is God giving you your physical family? Because God knew people don't grow up well alone. You need support. You need help. You need examples. And guys, in the church, the same is true. We have this family, not so that we remain static, but so we grow up. I remember my mom, when we were growing up, uh, behind the laundry room door, she would take us every year or so and put our back against that wall. And she'd take a ruler and she'd mark a line and she would date how tall we were. Anybody else have that happen in your life? And then it was so exciting through the years to be to go back and see those dates and see how you'd grown. Let me tell you guys, when church is going to become the most exciting place in the city, it's when we've got those marks on the wall of us slowly but surely helping each other mature in Jesus. How does that happen? Peter says it happens in an atmosphere of love. One translation says you need to love each other as if your life depended on it. So that's our first picture. We're children in the same family. Now let's go to verse 4 of chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are built up as a spiritual house. Isn't that cool? Jesus the living stone, we are living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone precious and chosen. And whoever believes in him will be put, not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Wow, what a picture here. Picture number two is that we are stones in the same building. Now, this is a, this is a great picture. Now, we're getting to temple kind of language. And, and, and here's what Peter's trying to say is this incredible house of worship that God is building. Jesus is the cornerstone. What's the cornerstone? That's the stone put at the corner of the building and laid perfectly 
so that everything else in the building to be right must align with the cornerstone. And he says, either you get the cornerstone right and you're blessed, or the cornerstone becomes a stumbling block. That's why Jesus is such a big deal. That's why in our culture, sometimes people don't want us to pray in the name of Jesus, because Jesus clearly says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus is the cornerstone. And then he says, we become living stones. Because if you've ever been to Jerusalem and you've been to the Temple Mount, you know the temple's not there any longer. But the bottom of the mount, there are these incredibly big stones, and they're all squared off. They're crazy. Now, these stones came from not the, the most, you know, magnificent of temples, but actually from Herod's temple. But here's what would happen. When the temple was built, it was such a sacred place, they would not allow on the temple mount there to be chisels or hammers or anything else that would make noise in God's holy mountain. So, they would have to form these stones away, and we still don't know how they did it. Some of those stones are 50 tons. They were formed perfectly and brought to the Temple Mount. And here's what Peter's saying to us, guys, is that God is forming each of us perfectly to be a part of his temple. He's shaping us to be a part of his home. And then look at a couple of pictures here that go along with this. In verse 5, he says that we are a part of a holy priesthood. If you go down to verse 9, he's also going to use that word priesthood all over again. So here's our third picture. We are priests in the same temple. Now this is so significant, guys. And we, we don't know today how radical this is. In the Old Testament... A priest, the word priest simply means a go-between, okay? He's a mediator. And a priest was between God and the common person. In the Old Testament, either you were born in the house of Aaron or the tribe of Levi, nobody else could be priest. And they were truly go-betweens between God and between man. We even know some Christian faiths who still practice priests. And so if you sin in some way, you need to go to the priest. So the priest can go to God about your sins. Now, here's what's so cool. That's not how the New Testament church was built. We have the priesthood of all believers. You don't need to go through me or anybody else to get to God. You have direct access. We're all priests. In our vernacular, sometimes we make a distinction distinction between clergy and what we call laity. That'd be ministers and just regular members. That's a terrible distinction. And and we've got to make sure that we avoid that because God wants us all to be ministers. I love when someone comes up to me and says, man, I hear great things about the Landmark Church. How many ministers do you have? I love to say, we got a thousand. It's, It's every one of us. I'll never forget a friend of mine years ago, he grew up in a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they had a guest speaker come to church one Sunday, and he was preaching this. And he said, guys, every one of you is a minister. And he got, guy's name was Larry Polk, and he got so excited about it. And then he walked outside the church building, and there were three designated minister-only parking spots. So my friend Larry, who was sort of a rebel, that next Saturday night 
went up to the parking lot and wrote ministers only on every parking spot. Now, can you imagine the confusion when you drive in church the next Sunday, people not knowing if they can park or not? And poor Larry got called in and got in trouble with the elders. But let me tell you this morning, he was right. We're all ministers. We're all priests. We all have direct access to God. And he says, in this, we offer sacrifices. And the Bible tells us all kinds of sacrifices. What you've been doing this morning, the fruit, the praises that come from your lips are a sacrifice to God. Your service, your good works are a sacrifice to God. Honestly, guys, your life, Romans 12 verse 1 says, we are all living sacrifices. And then listen to what he says. This is your spiritual worship. Do not mistake that what we're doing here is your only time of worship. Oh, this is important. And this is the point where we have this awesome togetherness. But my friends, when you walk out of these doors and you put your life on the altar for God and lay your life down for God, guess what? You are a living sacrifice. That is causing worship to God just like what you're doing here. I love that picture. We're priests in the same temple. And then two of the greatest verses in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Let's look at this. I love how he describes this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Our final picture is that we are citizens of the same nation. Have you noticed what he's called them to this point in Peter? They're foreigners, they're strangers, they're exiles. What are you saying? Is you, you live in Rome, but you feel like that you don't fit in. You're exiles. And, and what Peter says is, you know what? You may not fit into your country anymore, but you've got a citizenship that's so much higher than that. Your citizenship is in heaven. And my friends, it really bothers me when I hear people compare America to the, as being the new Jerusalem, that America's the new Israel, guys, please do not get me wrong here. I love my country. I'm very patriotic. But America is not the new Israel. America is a great country. But the new Israel, the new Jerusalem is the church. And my friends, our priority should never be to put our country before the kingdom of God. Our country's important, but it doesn't go before the kingdom of God. Why? Because this is our priority. This is who we are. This is where our first loyalty is. So even if our country goes down a bad way, my goodness, guys, we're okay because we know where our real citizenship is. It's in heaven. So look real quickly with me at those four pictures we've given. What, what incredible pictures of who we are. Now, let, let me just get real practical with you as we close out here. What difference should these pictures make? First of all, they tell us who we are, who we are. Guys, it's easy to have a negative view of church. 36% of Americans say they have absolutely no confidence in any church. 36%. Only 36% say they do have confidence in the church. 
So we, we live in a culture, we all know church attendance is slowly declining. Confidence in church is declining. And guys, we, we, we don't need to be so surprised by that. We shouldn't expect our culture to necessarily endorse us. But what I think, guys, we've got to watch is, is we can't have a negative self-perception of ourselves. Sometimes we are repeating the things of cultures. You know, churches are just judgmental and churches are, are not loving and they're homophobic and they're this and they're that. And guys, what we got to be is we got to be different. And we've got to have an identity that's different. And I don't know, some of you probably have had great experiences in church. I'm sure I'm speaking to some people that you've had bad experiences in church. And guys, what I'm challenging you to do this morning is, is to look at who Peter says we are. You know, if you want to grow as a Christian, I would say one of the most important things you need to do is receive your identity from Christ, okay? If not, the world's going to tell you who you are, or even you're going to tell you who you are. So I would probably say to you, my goodness, you need to go to the book of Ephesians and you need to read that book and see who God says you are. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are saved. You are God's because your identity will determine your behavior. And here's what I think Peter's saying to us today. As a church, we cannot receive our identity from the world or even our own experiences. I would say we need to go to the book of 1 Peter and let God tell us who we are. Can you imagine, guys? Can you imagine if the landmark church, if we really believe we're children in the same family, we're stones in the temple, we're priests in the temple, we are citizens of heaven. Man, what, what a difference that would make in our confidence as we encounter this world. So these picture, pictures, first of all, tell us who we are. Second, they tell us we need each other. All of these pictures are pictures of what we are together. They're not who we are alone. One person doesn't make a family. One stone doesn't make a building. One citizen doesn't make a nation. It takes all of us together. You've heard the story before, but I think it's so appropriate. There was a young Christian sitting around a fire, sharing with a more mature Christian. And the young Christian had sort of imbibed the spirit of our age that church is not a big deal. And so he said to the older Christian, he said, you know, I really love Jesus. I'm so glad to be following Jesus, but I, I just don't want much to do with church. And the older Christian let him talk it out for a while, and then they had a, a fire going, and there were all these hot coals. And finally, the older, mature Christian took a stick, and he, he pushed one of the coals outside of the fire. And he just let the young man watch as the coal went from red to black and from hot to cold. And then he said, my friends, that's what happens to us when we take ourselves out of the fellowship of God's people. Listen, my friend, you were not made to live this on your own. We were made to live this in fellowship. And though the church may be imperfect, we need to have the picture that God has given us, and we need to know that we know each other. And that's why you're going to notice over the next few weeks, we're making a big deal about this small group reorganization. That's why I need you to fill that survey out so we know what to do. Why? Because we think what happens here is awesome. But we think to be the family, the building, who God says we are, 
We've also got to be in smaller groups where we help each other become more like Jesus. I'm telling you, over the last year, I've seen a group of young single man, men help each other say no to temptation. I've seen a young married group where people whose marriage was, were destroyed be healed and come back together. I did a funeral Wednesday for one of our older members, you know, who when you looked out at the funeral and, and you saw who was there, I'm telling you who it was, it was her life group. Because those are people for the last 20 years, if I can be honest, she had lived life with and gone through the death of a husband and a grandson and all kinds of issues. That's why we know we need each other. Isn't it, wouldn't it make sense then if this is so important for our spiritual growth that Satan would attack the church? That Satan would want you to think negative of it? That Satan would make you not give it a second chance? Why? Because, guys, if he can just scoot you away, man, he's got you. One more thing. These pictures tell us the world needs us. We're going to talk about this next week because we're supposed to be that shining light of a different lifestyle and a different culture. And I love this line we'll look at next week. It says, when the church is what it should be, our actions refute other people's prejudices. Guys, we live in a culture that's very prejudiced against church. And when we fulfill their stereotypical view, we hurt ourselves and we hurt them. But when we're different in a great way, because here's where I've seen this happen in America so often. After a natural disaster, maybe it's a hurricane or it's a tornado or you name it, something destroys a city, 90% of the people who go into those cities to rescue it are Christians. And I remember back in, in Hurricane Katrina, when it destroyed New Orleans, there was a writer from the London Times who was covering the story. And he even admitted that he was an atheist. And he admitted he had a terrible view of Christians. But he said to the people of England, when I was in America, who I was really impressed was, were the Christians. It was the churches that showed up to do something different. And my friends, when we are the people of God, we can refute the prejudices of the world. So guys, that's who we are. That's who we are for each other. That's who we are for our world. Now let's, let's boil it all down right real quickly to what Peter's saying. It all starts with a choice in your life. What are you going to do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Peter says he's either the cornerstone that you align your life with and you build your life around, or he's the stumbling stone that you will trip over in disobedience. It all goes back to Jesus. And so I ask you, I I know you got a lot of decisions to make in your life. In fact, Microsoft did a study not too long ago asking how many decisions does the average person make a day? I'm blown away by a statistic. They said it was 35,000 a day. I don't know if that's inflated or too low. I don't really care. But what I do know is that the one decision I make and that you make that will determine your life right here and your eternal life is what are you going to do with Jesus? Or you can build your life around him. Are you going to surrender him? 
Can, can you imagine when Peter's writing this? Let me just say, Peter's got to be thinking all this stone talk. He's got to be thinking back to Matthew 16, where, where Jesus said, who do people say I am? And who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus does a play on words here. He said, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this, I will build my church. On this stone, on this rock, I will build my church. What is it? He's building his church on the confession of Peter. And Peter's got to be remembering that moment. And that's why at baptism, we always ask that question. Who do you think Jesus is? Do you believe he's the Christ and the Son of the living God? That's the foundation on which you build your life. And I ask you today, is it time for you to surrender your life to Jesus and align your life with him? Or maybe I'm talking to some folks and, and you've you developed a difficulty with church. I understand that. I, I probably talk to people every week who've had a bad church experience, and I'm sorry about that. But on the other hand, if we can become who God wants us to be, what could we do together? And right now, what you may be, really, if, if, if you'd be honest with yourself just for a second, you, you may be that hot coal that was pushed away from the fire, and you're no longer hot anymore. You're cold in your faith. You're cold in your dedication to God. And today would be the day I'm saying, give us a second chance. Maybe it's you that messed it up. Maybe we messed it up. We're not perfect people. But whatever's messed it up for you, we've seen God's plan for who we ought to be. And if you need to recommit yourself to being a hot coal for Jesus Christ, to be a stone in the temple, to be a citizen of heaven, to be a child in the family of God. Meet me right here while we stand together and sing.